Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we get stuck in, a quick word from our sponsors. Brooksy, what do you love about science? I like working out how the world works. It's like, I want to know how this thing works, how that thing works, how they fit together. You know, what are the rules that govern them? I basically want to kind of get the mind of God inside my head. (laughs) Fairly sort of bold ambition. (laughs) Uh, All I want is the mind of God. All I want is to be God, effectively. Shall I tell you what will help you get the mind of God in your head? (laughs) Go on then by subscribing to The Great Courses Plus. It's a video and streaming service for people who love to learn. And they've got a brand new course out that I know you're going to like because it's right in your wheelhouse. Sci-fi, science fiction as philosophy presented by Dr. David Carl Johnson. It's similar to what we do on this show, but he's looking at sci-fi as a kind of way into philosophy. So he looks at, you know, social justice or power or ethics through various films like the Matrix or Alien or Interstellar does some TV shows, Westworld, Handmaid's Tale. Very interesting, very accessible. I enjoyed it a lot. And The Great Courses Plus has thousands of fascinating lectures to enjoy from award-winning experts like the biggest, think of the biggest Don in the area. They've got them. Uh, And you will get unlimited access to explore any topic that interests you. So if you're interested in science like us or history or human behaviour, even even hobbies. So let's say you want to get better at the Frisbee. To be fair, they probably haven't got anything for that, but less niche hobbies, they will have stuff on. And you can watch or listen at any time from anywhere if you download the Great Courses Plus app. We are pretty sure you're going to love the Great Courses Plus because I think, like us, you enjoy accumulating knowledge, trying to achieve the mind of God. <laughs> uh, so we've arranged a special limited time offer for our listeners, which is a full month of unlimited access for free. Don't adjust to your sets. I did say for free, and I meant it. Uh, to get this free month offer, you need to sign up through our page, which is thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash science. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com forward slash science. Enjoy. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet. But something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? It's this guy. He's after us in our dreams. We could just see. We could just see cuts happening. It was as if there were four razors cutting at the same time. Fred Krueger. Fred Krueger. There's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. You'll feel better when you sleep. It's just as simple as that. Screw sleep! 
Well, this might wake you up a little bit this morning. A scary fact, 15 to 33% of fatal crashes involve tired drivers. Lack of sleep is being tied to more and more serious health problems. It is extraordinary that sleep medicine still really actually seen as a pretty much the least important aspect of medicine. It might be one of the most important. It underpins absolutely everything to do with our health. And the Centers for Disease Control has found that 35% of American adults are not getting the recommended minimum of seven hours of sleep. Honey, get yourself some sleep. That's what I've been telling you all along. But you'll be here to catch Quite often there's an intruder. Quite often there's this thing sitting on your chest and suffocating you. And within a few cycles of that, seeing this presence, you do not want to go back to sleep. You will do anything to avoid sleep. You'll feel better when you get some sleep. Feel better? You call this feeling better? Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. We take a work of fiction, we look at the science within it, raising one big question about it. Uh, this week, you are taking the lead, aren't you, Brooksy? You yes, I am. Uh, we are going to be looking at the 1984 classic uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, please. You've seen it? Of course I have. It's such a good film. <laughs> it's absolutely terrifying. Also, I don't know if you had this. Uh, you're older than me, so probably not. So <laughs> when I was at school, when I was at junior school, so when I was like eight or nine, the biggest cachet that you could have in the playground was that you'd seen some 18s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I lied and said that I'd seen all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, <laughs> um, which is a fine lie because no one else has seen them, so they can't really quiz you on yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. So it, it's an easy lie to maintain. Yeah. And then Tom Ellis had a sleepover birthday party and his parents inexplicably allowed us to watch Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, how old were you? And so I was like nine. And so it's just a load of nine-year-olds oh, in, a, in their sleeping bags in this room just watching Nightmare on Elm Street. And the, the sort of vibe was, uh, and at this stage I was called Rich, famously. Of course and, you were. Um, well, also, the awful thing with Nightmare on Elm Street, this viewing age nine, is that everyone was sort of saying, oh, what, what, what's going to happen next, Rich? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> um... <laughs> and also, I was very clearly absolutely shitting my... I was terrified <laughs> um, in a way that someone who has seen the film wouldn't be. Oh, I don't know. I actually didn't re-watch it because I, I just couldn't it's go through really the trauma nasty. of it again. Yeah. It's yeah. really nasty. I d- oh. It, it, it kind of it haunted me for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fairly basic. All right, this this guy, Freddy Krueger, appears to these teenagers, basically, when they fall asleep and uh, tries to kill them in various nasty ways. And uh, and the golden rule is don't fall asleep, basically, isn't it? Yeah. And he's got the uh, the Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, Slasher Fingers. Um, he's wearing burned... Dennis the Menace's jumper. Yeah. <laughs> and a burned off face. Yeah, he's an absolute catch. <laughs> All day long I've been seeing that guy's weird face and hearing those fingernails. Fingernails? That's amazing you saying that. That made me remember the dream I had last night. Uh, so what's our big... I'm sort of struggling to see what our question is going to be. <laughs> no, um, well, I mean, obviously, with the, the catch line of the film is don't fall asleep. Uh-huh. So uh, the question we're going to ask is, are we in a sleep loss epidemic? So have we tracked down an absolute legend to answer this question for us? You know what we have? Uh, um, this is a guy called Dr. Henry Nichols, who is a biologist and a science writer. And he's just written a book called Sleepyhead, Narcolepsy, Neuroscience, and the Search for a Good Night. Snappy, mate. 
Well, I mean, he was diagnosed with narcolepsy himself uh, at the age of 21. Um, he has suffered with it uh, for more than, well, decades now and um, has incredible insights into what's going on. So he decided to re research the whole thing and write this book, uh, which is brilliant. So, uh, so we just started by asking him, what exactly is sleep and how does it differ from rest? It's a sleep and comfort shop, and it's exclusively devoted to people looking for comfort, relaxation and sleep. Sleep differs from rest in the important sense that you don't have consciousness during sleep. And the brain is probably doing very, very different things. This happy couple, for instance, have a real problem because the wife sinks out of sight on a soft mattress and hubby there floats like a cork on any other So kind. the way that sleep's structured well, has been known now for almost 100 years. And this could come about because of something called the EEG, electroencephalogram, these wires that you put on someone's scalp. And they're measuring small electrical waves that are rippling out that have come out and, and emerged onto the skin there and they, we've used this as a proxy to, to to actually see that the brain is doing very different things at different stages during the night so it starts off you go into a light sleep we call this stage or phase one sleep and this doesn't last very long and then you go into deeper sleep called phase two and these rhythms are much slower so you can imagine an ocean with a nice undulating waves and then you go into a deep sleep, which is called stage three. And these are big waves and they're very, very low frequency, sort of rolling waves. And then there's a fourth stage. And this was discovered in 1953 and it's called rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. So most people know that that's the stage when we do most of our really clear dreaming. And it's a very, very different kind of sleep from the others so you are paralyzed during this stage all your muscles have gone offline presumably so you do not act out your dreams which is dangerous there is a sleep disorder where that happens where you actually you know that can result in some nasty injuries or even death or manslaughter and the brain is doing very very different things from the perspective of the EEG, these, these electrodes on your brain, it is indistinguishable from wakefulness. You could not tell apart those traces. All you can do is say, well, the person is still not conscious, but their brain appears to be. So in a normal, inverted commas, night's sleep, you'd fall asleep, you go through one, two, three, into rapid eye movement sleep, and that's one cycle of sleep, and it lasts approximately 90 minutes, an hour and a half. And then the cycle repeats, so after that dreaming, you go back down very quickly into the deep sleep. And that cycle repeats over and over through the night until you wake up. It actually contracts, it gets shorter during the night, and you get a bit more dreaming towards the morning. The really important bit in terms of the brain's function for the next day appears to be the stage three sleep. You need a large amount and consolidated stage three sleep, and that's happening mostly early on in the sleep cycle. So why is sleep necessary then? Because from an evolutionary point of view, it means you're incredibly vulnerable. So it must be performing a, a vital function. What so, is that? Well, we don't actually really know what's going on. I mean, we think it's necessary, but it, 
you know, you have to ask two questions, basically, which is, you know, can we find examples, counterexamples where animals don't sleep at uh-huh. all? And then it would tell you whether it's actually necessary. And then um, you've got to ask whether there are sort of serious consequences to not sleeping. So, but it turns out that we haven't found an animal that doesn't sleep. Basically, there's been various claims that, that some fish, for instance, zebrafish will keep, you know, they, they keep moving. I mean, this happens as well with, with uh, various things. And, and fruit the Sharks flies. are always swimming around, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, sharks, dolphins, seals. So um, you get, you know, really interesting things happen. So uh, starting with fruit flies, like they, they seem to sleep. They, they sort of stay still for a while and you can monitor there are kind of changes in gene expression in their brains. So, so different things are happening in their brains at these times when they're staying still. And that's a similar thing to what we see in the zebrafish. Uh, we see sort of different patterns of electrical activity. Mm-hmm. So when they, they become you know, still and they look like they're, they're sleeping, it does seem there's a kind of brain change going on. Are other creatures then going through the same phases that, that we are in sleep? Some do things really differently. So dolphins have this thing called unihem- unihemispheric sleep. Easy for you to say. Yeah, it turns out it wasn't. Um, so, you know, they keep swimming around. Uh, they have one eye that sort of half closes, mm-hmm. and then the opposite side of their brain is shut down. So if the right eye is half closed, the left side of the brain is basically shut down mm-hmm. and, um, you know, unresponsive and, and just obviously going into some kind of, you know, sleep mode, with the, the right side of the brain still going. So they can keep an eye out effectively for predators. They can keep, you know, some kind of sense of alertness. And then, you know, and then they can swap this over. So, so they'll get, you know, the other side of the brain goes to sleep. So we see that in seals and sea lions. And uh, yeah, so that's quite an interesting thing that, you know, they've obviously evolved to do that, to keep, you know, predators at bay, effectively, they can react to predators. So why didn't we evolve that then? Feels like it's quite handy. Clearly, we didn't need to. I mean, mm. clearly, we survived without it. Hiding up trees or in larger groups where you could just literally keep one person awake. Yeah. So that's an alternative, isn't it? It's like somebody, everybody takes a watch. So, so that works. So we clearly just didn't need it. But so we've, we've not found any animals that don't sleep at all. So even like worms, you know, you, you, a C. elegans worm goes into a state where, you know, you see different kinds of, of uh, brainwaves, you know, different kinds of nerve signals, you should say. Right. Really, so so you know we've got quite good evidence that sleep seems to be a necessary part of of the evolution story. So, are there animals then that can forego sleep without too many negative consequences? Um, basically, only pigeons, and that's all, all I've, I've come up with. So, pigeons can can cope with quite a lot of sleep deprivation without much going wrong. Everything else, it, it's a it's a bit of a disaster. So, uh, one of the most famous experiments was done on rats of course, uh-huh. where you put two on this circular disc with a partition between them. And uh, when one of the rats, the unlucky rat, and the, the, they're wired up with an EEG so you can read their brainwaves. Mm-hmm. And when this rat falls asleep, the disc rotates and the disc is over a bath of water. So mm-hmm. if it doesn't start walking, it's just going to end up rotating into the water. It's going to fall off the edge. And so every time it falls asleep, it's forced to basically start walking Otherwise, it ends up in the water. So it learns that it can't just fall asleep. And it's usually dead within a month. I mean, that is a really bleak <laughs> month for the rat as well. <laughs> it's a terrible month for the oh, rat. I mean, it's, they have a control on the other side. So the other rat's fine because it can walk when the other one's walking. And when the other one's just standing still because it's awake, that one just sleeps. Obviously, it takes right. advantage of just being able to sleep. Right. And then the other one falls asleep and the thing starts moving. So it wakes up and starts walking. The unlucky rat obviously has to keep walking. And, and its metabolism just goes haywire. 
And it, I mean, it's sort of basically stressed to its eyeballs. What is it actually dying of? So nobody really knows. We don't really know what happens. So when they dissected the unlucky one, um, its organs look completely normal. But it apparently had lost the ability to sort of regulate its body temperature. So all the metabolism stuff had gone wrong. And so they don't really know what killed it. Uh, but, you know, it's just stress. How long has it been since you slept? It's coming up on the seventh day. It's okay, I checked Guinness. The record's 11. Listen, Glenn, I know who he is. Who? The killer. You do? Yes. And if he gets me, I'm pretty sure you're next. Me? Why would anybody want to kill me? Don't ask. Just give me some help nailing the guy when I bring him out. I grab the guy in my dream. You see me struggling, so you wake me up. We both come out, you whack the fucker, and we got him. Are you crazy? Hit him with what? You're the jock. You have a baseball bat or something. Just meet me at my porch at midnight. Oh, and meanwhile... Meanwhile? Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. So given that humans need sleep, are we getting any closer to figuring out why? Like, what function is it performing for us? From experiments that have been done on mice, what happens is if you deprive them of sleep, the brain starts to eat itself. What? So, so there's sort of certain things within the brain that are there to kind of take away toxins and, and sort of, you know, do some cleaning up. And it kind of yeah. goes into overdrive uh, with massive sleep loss in mice. And so the brain just starts to destroy itself. So, again, that's another reason why, you know, we think... Um, sleep must be essential because there's certain processes that if you remove them, you know, everything goes haywire. Like that that sort of uh, metabolism thing with the rats. So there's sort of various reasons why we definitely sort of have to sleep. And we just have to sort of work out why. We don't know why. Is, is there any way of working out that the different phases are performing different functions for us? So if you, would it be possible to deprive someone just of REM sleep and then see what happens, for example? Yeah, um, I'm not sure what's been done to just sort of stop people dreaming. So REM, REM sleep is when you're, yeah. when you're dreaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do know that non-REM sleep is really, really important. So, so it seems deep, deep sleep. Yeah, the proper yeah. deep sleep is when we do huge amounts of memory processing. So, so there's been experiments, for instance, you teach an animal a new task and then you let it sleep. And it seems like that task is consolidated in the brain, sort of, you know, in that in their non-REM sleep cycle mm-hmm. afterwards. And there's growth hormone released in non-REM sleep. We synthesize certain proteins and your blood pressure drops massively as well. So it's really good for you to kind of get into this. And uh, like I said, you know, the brain clears out sort of toxic products uh, when we sleep. So um, that's one of the things that happens in, in non-REM sleep as well. So, so there are things that are going on which are clearly good for us. Hold that thought, Brooksy. Let's hear from our sponsors. What are you reading there, Rick? Total Film Magazine. Uh-huh. I haven't only picked it up because <laughs> on the front cover, they're talking about the Meg. Uh, you heard about the Meg? Not a lot. Absolutely huge shark. Megalodon. Oh, oh, yeah, my yeah, yeah, my yeah. favourite, yeah, the Megalodon. That is, that is your favourite. Um, well known that. That plus Statham. What a touch. I'm yeah, genuinely, yeah. I'm quite psyched about it. All right, so besides Statum and the Meg, what else is in there? What I, what I enjoy about Total Film is it's like a, it's a smarter movie, Mag. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it yeah. just uh, offers me a bit more insight. It's quite sort of authoritative. 
loads of the sort of up-to-date, what's in production, what's going on, all of that's covered off. Um, obviously, interviews with all the stars, reviews of every new film that gets released. And sometimes when I read film magazines, I'm like, you don't actually think that that film was good. Oh, you, they, you've just been just paid. Try, not necessarily it. that, but you're just trying to keep in with like the film publicists. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like in total film, they don't pull their punches. Okay. If they don't like a film, they don't like a film. That sounds good. It yeah. is good. Is it any good for pub quiz stuff? I mean, that's kind of where I need my film trivia most. Yeah, so they've got an excellent trivia section. Like, it's really that good. That is what I need. That's sort of it, almost... That's what I enjoy most about films is film trivia. <laughs> yeah, I've noticed actually. Yeah, I love yeah. a bit of film trivia. And I think our listeners do too. So if like us, you are a film fanatic, you can get all of this delivered straight to your door every single month. And this is good. Save 80% off of your first five issues with this offer. So issues are normally four ninety nine each. You can do the maths. You're basically paying a quid. I've done the maths for you. Thank me later. Just go to myfavouritemagazines.co.uk forward slash science-ish. So clearly we all want to get a good night's sleep, but are there a lot of things that can stand in the way of that? That's something that Henry's been looking into a lot. Okay, so having established what a normal night's sleep would look like ideally, then most sleep disorders disrupt that in some way. Jim Thompson struggled to get a good night's sleep. In 2012, he was diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea. So sleep apnea, where you keep stopping breathing during the night, that is clearly punctuating the quality of sleep. Sleep apnea can even be life-threatening. There's a whole spectrum. Narcolepsy is weird for having high levels of dreaming sleep, and in fact, that's diagnostic for narcolepsy. If you go from wake straight into dreaming sleep, that's pretty much narcolepsy. High levels of dreaming that appear to disrupt the quality of sleep at night. And this explains most of the symptoms of narcolepsy. So the high levels of sleepiness during the day, uh, because in fact, narcolepsy turns out to be a form of insomnia, really. You're not getting proper quality sleep at night. I started feeling sleepy throughout the day. I didn't think much of it. I just thought it was some weird puberty thing. And then the cataplexy, which is this really debilitating but neurologically fascinating state where an emotion, this is you're awake now, so you're functioning during the day, an emotion, quite often mirth, uh, it could be anger, it could be fear, it could be surprise, causes a complete paralysis of all your muscles. It's the same state I described that occurs during dreaming sleep. You remain conscious, but you've collapsed to the floor, you're laughing, you look like you died or have had a heart attack. But and it may last 10 seconds or so, and then you come back round. It's not wholly unpleasant, but the psychological impact of having that over and over and over and over again is untold. Probably the scariest thing is falling to the ground and not being totally sure that you're going to fall in a position where you can breathe. I could fall in a space where my face might be smothered by, you know, a cushion or something. And then there's another symptom which is very frequent uh, with narcolepsy called sleep paralysis. And this is the one where you wake up and your body is still in that dreaming state. And it's exceedingly alarming. And that sleep paralysis is often accompanied by what we call hypnagogic hallucinations. This is where your brain has created an image to match that fear so that there's not this disconnect. And quite often there's an intruder, 
quite often there's an incubus, this thing sitting on your chest and suffocating you. Quite often it's a sexual predator. It's horrific. This is exactly what happens in Nightmare on Elm Street. And within a few cycles of that, seeing this presence, you do not want to go back to sleep. You will do anything to, to avoid sleep. So in another sense, then, you, you're destroying sleep. How do you get narcolepsy? Are you born with it or do you uh, develop it? You inherit... So I mean, the, the thinking is that you inherit a particular version of a gene and that gene is sort of linked to the immune system's ability to distinguish, you know, something that it needs to attack from something that's that's okay. And so this version of the gene doesn't basically work very well. But um, about one in four people in Europe has a copy, apparently. Uh, but 98% of those people with narcolepsy and cataplexy have this, this variant of the gene. So that's the first thing. So it's, it's like a perfect storm scenario. So that's just like item one. What's next on my shopping list? Next is to be born in March, weirdly. Sorry, sorry. Did you get this from your horoscope? <laughs> what do you mean born in March? Yeah, no, I mean, this is actually quite a well-documented thing, is that there are certain diseases and illnesses and pathogens that are around are more prevalent, more common at certain times of the year, and they will have an effect on uh, developing fetuses. So, so personality has actually been linked. You know, certain things like schizophrenia, suicide risk has been linked to time of year you're born. Unfortunately, people born in March are actually a little bit more vulnerable to narcolepsy. And Henry was born in March. So you basically get that situation. And then you get some kind of infection. And if you get the wrong kind of infection, some kind of, you know, virus, some bacterium, and it tips your immune system into overdrive and if if you've got this kind of you know the fault in your immune system the genetic fault initially what happens is in narcoleptics it dismantles something in the brain called the orexin system so it's about thirty thousand neurons that are involved in promoting wakefulness um think dopamine serotonin histamine neuroepiphrine that all kind of hit and and the result is that you can have this situation where strong emotions or certain situations, like even just laughing, can trigger this sort of state where you just suddenly lose, effectively just losing consciousness and falling asleep. So how have we found all this out then? Well, <laughs> it's really interesting because Henry's book sort of tells this long story about these dogs that are narcoleptic. And so we discovered that certain breeds of dog are, are more susceptible to being narcoleptic. So Dobermans are the classic example now. And they start to breed these things you know, to be narcoleptic so they can study you know, what's going on. And it's actually quite difficult to breed these narcoleptic dogs because sometimes um, the act of ejaculation can be enough to stimulate the narcolepsy, a, a sort of narcoleptic seizure. And, the, and so they fall asleep. Hopefully you've just got to the right point. Fall asleep on right. the job. Maybe the job is done. I'm not, yeah, yeah. The job is done. Yeah. And it's an extraordinary story where we end up with these sort of, you know, these sort of families of, of, of Dobermans that are just narcoleptic. And, and if they get too excited, will just drop down into this you know, cataplectic, narcoleptic state. So eventually we kind of, you know, then we're able to analyze them and, and mice that were bred for narcolepsy as well and, and sort of find all this stuff about the damage to the brain and the, and the issues that, that are there. And um, you get these things, um, the orexins or hypocretins, they're also called, and you can study them and, and aim to produce drugs. And you'd kind of hope that the pharmaceutical companies are saying, right, well, you know, we can help the narcoleptics here. Uh, but actually what they've done is produce drugs that help people get to sleep, which is probably not the outcome that all the narcoleptics were looking for. 
You feel better now, right? Jungle man, fix Jane. No more fights? No more fights. Good. No more nightmares for either one of us, then. When did you have a nightmare? Guys can have nightmares, too, you know. You can get a corner on the market or something. And what about the things um, that Henry is talking about, the, the hallucinations during sleep paralysis, that are kind of, I guess, the inspiration of A Nightmare on Elm Street? They sound absolutely horrendous. I've never experienced it, so I've no, me I've, neither. No, I don't have uh, nightmares in particular. But you know, the things I've read about night terrors and, and you know, friends. I, I used to live next door to a girl who clearly had night terrors because she would scream in the middle of the night. I just, I thought it was like the devil. It was just horrible. And hey, you know, it's been really tough for how, you, mate. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. I mean, however bad it was for me, and I found it really alarming. You know, I can't imagine Shut what, up! what it was like. For her. So when I banged, sleep when I banged on the wall, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it is just absolutely awful. I mean, this is something that actually historically has kind of been recorded in. All kinds of literature all around the world. People have this thing, you know, the hag, and then you get the incubus, and you get these paintings as well of of like this demon like squatting on somebody's chest while they're asleep. So, so we've known that there, there is something going on. Of course, it used to have all these mystical explanations, and uh, now you know it must be involved with alien abduction stuff as yes, well. Yes, yeah, yeah, it yeah. is. So, so uh, people who suffer from night terrors are are more likely to claim alien abduction. Um, and and it's especially when it's to do with this kind of paralysis that you get, where you're awake but you can't move, uh, you can't move a muscle, and and you get this sort of weird hallucination as well. So so you've got this sort of sense of something sitting in your chest, and your brain tries to make sense of it by giving you a reason why this is happening. So you actually, brain. Yeah, so you actually see this thing and and the sense of being pulled around as well. And you you sort of feel pain or smothering and choking and stuff, but you also hear stuff. So you hear knocking is a classic one, and breathing, and and somebody whispering in the darkness, and you sort of have all of this going on. And then apparently, you know, quite often you see you know human forms like monsters, aliens. You know, so so you know, you, your brain is just going mad. It's it's just so awful. And your brain is just trying to explain the peculiar sensory information that's yeah. being fed to it. Yeah, yeah. And are, are we getting enough sleep, generally, in the world? No, no, we're, we're really not. If you don't snooze, you lose. Not enough sleep can increase the risk of stroke or cancer. It can decrease fertility. The list goes on. Every day there seems to be a new study with a headline like this. Sleep deprivation is killing you and making you fat in the process. It is extraordinary that sleep medicine came so late to the field and is still really actually seen as a pretty much the least important aspect of medicine. It might be one of the most important. It underpins absolutely everything to do with our health. But since then, particularly from the 1990s onwards, we have been able to build a really much clearer neurological picture, studying what happens within individual neurons, starting to unravel the networks, really complex networks, but the networks that are involved in the regulation of sleep. From that, I think that's filtering through to mainstream society. So we now understand that sleep, quality sleep, is the flip side of quality wakefulness. You cannot be a functioning, waking human without good sleep. 
Well, this might wake you up a little bit this morning. A scary fact, a report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates 15 to 33% of fatal crashes involve tired drivers. Being sleep deprived slows down our reaction time. And one of the biggest myths about sleep is that everyone needs a solid eight hours to function. I know, I believe that. Drowsy drivers cause an estimated 40,000 injuries and more than 1,500 deaths annually. Being awake for more than 20 hours... The solutions for sleep are really simple and really obvious. Perhaps so simple and so obvious that we've just kind of forgotten about them. And we go for these... We're looking for high-tech solutions that really aren't needed. It's not as complicated as that. I think the really crucial things are sleep stability. That means not doing too much lying in at the weekend. I'm afraid you should really, if you want your body to be at its optimal tip-top condition, would be to get up at the same time every single day. The body likes routine. And this is to now to do with the importance of light and the way that our brain responds to light and sets the body clock according to the light we see particularly the blue wavelengths at dawn and dusk. These, the brain is so sensitive to. You start mucking around with that, it's like a kind of social jet lag. Every weekend, you're, it's like you're covering several time zones and coming back. It's no wonder that you're less functional on Mondays. So these are, geez, these are just, everyone can do this stuff. Fitbits and gizmos and devices, not so much. We need to pay attention and look out for all these things that can interfere with sleep and protect it, and take it really, really seriously, invest in it. And it will repay. It will make your waking life much, much better. So how badly are we doing collectively, sleep-wise? So in developed nations, uh, two-thirds of adults fail to obtain what they need, which is eight hours a night. I mean, that's the WHO recommendation is eight hours. People talk about seven to nine hours as being optimal, and I guess everybody's sort of biology makes it differ a little mm. bit. But, but yeah, um, two-thirds of us aren't getting enough sleep. And, and that has you know, big, big consequences. So, um, so the statistics shows that if you get six and three-quarter hours sleep a night, um, your lifespan prediction goes down to sort of early 60s. So you just What's... literally don't live as long. You know, you look, you look at, you correlate, you know, how long people sleep and how long they live. And actually there's a very strong correlation. And um, there's also, uh, if you get too little sleep, your sperm count drops by a, a massive, by about a third. I don't need that. You don't need on, that. On top of everything else. No, no, exactly. <laughs> so uh, early night for you. And uh, I mean, I mean, it kills people as well. So, so if you if you have less than five hours sleep, you're four times more likely to be involved in a car crash if you go and get in the car. Um, and if you've had four hours sleep, you're eleven times more likely to be involved in a car crash because your cognitive function just drops like a stone when you're tired. So this kind of matters. This fact that we're not getting enough sleep really has you know actual physical consequences. The lifespan thing really scared me. How many hours do you normally get? Seven. Yeah, I try and get eight because I, I I really feel it if if I don't like I can feel that my cognitive function is way off if I'm if I get six hours yeah I'm fucked I mean trying to sort your sleep out as well it's just like then you read how alcohol affects your sleep and you just don't get any deep sleep or you just keep waking up 
And so you might feel like you actually slept all right, but you, you didn't. Mm. And, and so you know that your brain didn't do all the stuff that it needs to do. So that kind of makes you think, actually, I need to drink fewer nights of the week and I need to go to bed earlier. I need to become an old man. Yeah. Luckily, I'm almost there. I like the, um, the idea that you just have to take it quite seriously. Not mess about with yeah, sleep, yeah. but like do the things that are going to get you the right amount. What about if I do it in in kind of chunks? So if each of my um, cycles is 90 minutes long, could I not just have, just do a load of those periodically across the 24-hour period? Uh, well, weirdly, I mean, that's something that we used to do more of. So, so it used to be quite common... So Dickens writes about this to have like two phases of sleep a night. So you go to you go to bed probably because it was dark and there was no you know electric lights around. So you just go to bed and then you wake up at sort of midnight ish, mm -hmm. and maybe you wake up for a couple of hours and you know have a drink, have some food. Uh, people, you know, according to literature, you know it would be a time when people had sex and then they go back to sleep again and you know till dawn effectively till dawn wakes them. So it's kind of. Uh, polyphasic sleep cycles and some people have managed to do you know two or three or four you know really kind of you know have have just naps through the day effectively yeah. and do it but um it turns out that the best sleep that you can get is probably actually just do it in one good block of eight hours and and just you know grab it while you can i mean it's the way our society has gone now mm -hmm. hasn't it and because we've got electric light and we've got you know all these kind of things and technologies that enable us to keep going into the night you know keep either being productive with work or entertainment or whatever you know that sort of gap where it, it, it gets dark and you've got nothing better to do has kind of gone away so we have yeah. to sort of positively manage our sleep and decide when we're going to go to sleep how long we're going to sleep for and then, you know, and you can use technology to wake you at the optimum time, ideally, you know, so you would have something reading your brainwaves and say, oh, you've come into a phase of light sleep. This is the best time to wake up because you'll, you'll feel awake and refreshed. But I still, you know, all the research says, get yourself, you know, eight hours sleep in one chunk in the night if you can do it. Fred Krueger did it, Danny. And only I can get him. It's my nightmare he comes to. Just come here break the door down in exactly 20 minutes. Can you do that? Yeah, sure. It's time, time enough for me to fall asleep and find him. Lieutenant, they're waiting for you upstairs. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll be there, sweetheart. Now look, you just get yourself some rest, please. Deal? Deal. So in summary then, our question was, are we in a sleep loss epidemic? I think we are. I genuinely think we are. I, I think... We should take it more seriously, mm. you know. I mean, you um, when you're a teenager or whatever, you you know, you pull an all nighter and or you lie in all weekend and do all that stuff. And I think that's probably all right when you're you know in that that phase of your life. But for most of us, if you're a working adult, you know, life is taking its toll, and you need to take your sleep as seriously as you would like. You know, like somebody said, going to the gym or you know everything else is really good for your health. I mean, you know, we we talked when we did Still Alice about how. Uh, loss of sleep or lack of sleep is is linked to dementia, and that seems to be really clear. So I'm, for one, going to sleep a lot more in future, but not on the weekend. Am I not allowed lions anymore? No more lions for you. <sighs> wake up, please, Susie, wake up. Wake up, please, Susie, wake up. Science Ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe and Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Dr. Henry Nichols. 
If you like the show, which we hope you did, please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you very much. It does help somehow. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at science underscore ish. So I've been reading the accounts of, of this kind of stuff. And it's just like, it's like a horror movie. It is. So, so I read you one. Yeah, go on. Uh, so so the, here's one account. It says, I'm lying on my back with my eyes closed and I feel a crushing weight on my chest. It's I, Brooksy. I've felt this before. <laughs> so I'm not scared. I open my eyes just a little bit and I see this two-dimensional grey humanoid on top of me with three-dimensional dirty grey hair hanging in my face. He's clutching my chest and dragging me down the bed into a wooden box that looks like a casket at the foot of my bed. I know that if he drags me into the box, that I will die. I turn my head sideways and look into the mirror that faces my bed and watch myself being pulled down the bed towards the box. I'm absolutely terrified by this point and I finally wake up when I'm transported back to the top of my bed with my head looking up at the ceiling. Imagine going through that. That's when you, you think, I don't want to fall asleep. Yeah. And if you're listening to Science-ish on your morning commute, have a great day, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's horrible. I mean, I was mainly fixated on the fact that the thing is two-dimensional, but it's got three-dimensional yeah, hair. Yeah, which is kind of weird, but try not to focus on that. I think that's that's That's, that's what I'm talking because I'm thinking, come on now. If something is two-dimensional and it's got three-dimensional hair, then wake up to the fact that it is not real. Well, I think waking up is the difficult thing, Rick. I think that's that's the problem. Right, I think, and that is my diagnosis. You well just need done. to wake up. <laughs> 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 how's that sleep clinic going that you're running 